All right. Good morning, everybody. Let's do a show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here. This is Just Human number 186. And yeah, happy Wednesday morning to you. I have some topics for this morning. I uh, I was just looking at them just now and thinking about what I'm going to do with the show today. Um, so there's some certain things, topics I want to hit on and some certain points I want to make, but we might be pretty free flowing today. Just FYI, um, we'll see. We'll see where things go. I have a, I have several things in my mind, and it's kind of like they're kind of melding together. And some of it I know is gonna. Um, I'm gonna want to talk about tonight on the Devo Power Hour, and so y'all are gonna get the version as it is now, and then later tonight on the Devo Power Hour, I might have, I might have, uh, I don't know, maybe finished baking the cake <laughs> that's in my head right now about some things, um, specifically in regards to the Nord Stream pipeline. We're going to hit that, um, but before we start in on it, I want to tell you that I did an extra show on Monday night, like I said I was going to do. Um, I did a uh, a reading of the 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 lawsuit from Michael Flynn um, against the U.S. government, and uh, it was really good. I really enjoyed reading it. Um, I like that lawsuit. I think it's well written, and it told the story uh, very well. And, um, it, anyway, it's just human number 185. Um, if you want to, if you want to go and you want to listen to that lawsuit, it did go pretty long. 
Um, it's about two hours long. I, I gave commentary here and there, but most of it was just me reading the lawsuit as it is. Um, but yeah, thank you everybody who tuned in for that. I was really surprised there were that many people interested in me, um, interested in me reading it. I'm still thinking about that lawsuit too. And at the end of the, of the, sh of the reading, uh, Brian Cates was in the chat and he was like, yeah, they're probably going to settle this. And Flynn's going to get a payout and DOJ is not going to want to fight this because they don't want to do discovery and they don't want to go through all these, all this stuff. And I was saying, yeah, that makes sense. Although I really wish they would fight it because then that would be fun. We might learn a few things. But then I noticed, and this is going to lead into the beginning of the show. So just real quick, if, if anybody is interested in supporting the show, if you're interested in, uh, you know, buying me a coffee or subscribing to my sub stack or getting some honey from your, for yourself from bensonhoneyfarms.com using a uh, rep code, just human. All of those links are in the description and you can find all that stuff. And, you know, that's what keeps the show going is, is your support. Um, or you could just hit the thumbs up if you like the show and give it a share. So, so yeah, I was looking and last night I was still kind of thinking, yeah, DOJ is probably going to settle this lawsuit that Flynn brought. But last night, Flynn posted this. And he said, as painful as this will be, discovery should be revealing. And for the good of the country, this is a necessary battle that needs to be waged. Say some prayers for my family. So Flynn is expecting a fight. And I, I looked at some liberal commentary um, on his lawsuit, and they're expecting DOJ to fight it. So... Maybe they will. You would think you would think that they would just be like, oh, let's settle this because we the case got dismissed. It should have never been brought against Michael Flynn. Um, it didn't have a it didn't have a basis. Um it should it should they should they should just settle it and then not have to go through any discovery, not have to go through um a lengthy court battle. They can just settle it and move on. What's twenty million dollars to the US government? He's suing for $50 million, by the way. Um, but hey, maybe maybe they will fight it. It gets my hopes up. So um, it, it would be so much fun. I mean, I, I, do, I do think that we need to pray for Flynn and his family. And I think they're going through – I think it's a necessary battle. Like I said at, at, during that reading at the beginning of it, that I think things like this – Flynn's lawsuit, Trump's civil RICO case, I think they are part of the irregular warfare that patriots are engaging in to get access to documents, to do exposure and disclosure, and to get some justice, yes, uh, but to feed information into the 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 cause of justice and the and I think um I think it's just another campaign that's being waged. And uh, so, yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that DOJ will fight it, um, not because I don't want Flynn to win or I want Flynn to go through more than he already has, but because I think that's what Flynn wants. Um, not trying to speak for him, but I, he says it's a necessary battle, and I think that's what he means. It's like, yeah, I got to fight this battle, not just to get 
um, some sort of compensation and to hold the government accountable for what they did to his family. But because there's a greater there's a greater good that is being served beyond his family and getting access to this information, documents, et cetera, holding the government accountable for what they did, holding those agents accountable for what they did. So, yeah, good stuff. All right, let's get into the uh, one of the hot topics, one of the really hot topics right now, which is – let me make sure and zoom in. My camera is in the way of one of the menus here, so that's why I like have to move my head, and so I can see what I'm clicking on. All right, there we go. Uh, so J6 videos that Tucker released. We got we gotten two draws from Tucker so far, and um. Well, actually, I guess I should uh, should maybe find some. Um, so, y'all are well aware. Tucker dropped some uh, some videos, and um, specifically the QAnon shaman guy, uh, Jake, and um, him being escorted around by cops inside the the Capitol, and it's revealing, you know, how peaceful he was, and that the cops basically escorted him around, and um, how can you charge someone? with what they've been charged with when the actual security forces are literally taking the guy on a tour of the Capitol. Uh, I totally get that. And a lot of people feel that, you know, this has busted the entire J six narrative of it being a violent insurrection um, and whatnot. And I, I just want to give some broad commentary on it um <laughs> as we're watching a video of people literally breaking glass right here literally breaking into the capitol and going through the windows the door is now open but they're still breaking in uh, which kind of makes my point this image right here kind of makes my point or illustrates the point i'm going to make So just brought this broad observations here. January 6th was both a peaceful event and a violent event. There was there was peaceful protest and there were peaceful groups of people and there were also violent groups of people. Um there were cops who were 100% fine and invited and patriots in and escorted them around like we saw on Tucker and didn't beat up anybody. There were also cops who did beat people. There were also people in the protest, the riot, whatever the crowd who were most of them completely peaceful, completely well-meaning, good people. But there were a few, a notable few, who were violent. And they went there to do violence that day. They wanted violence that day. The event is not one thing or the other. January 6th is an insurrection. 
but it was an insurrection against the Trump administration. And I'm going to keep making that point because I, I really feel that our our side, that MAGA, people on the right, have gone too far in one direction and have... It's like we're afraid to say... It's like we're afraid to acknowledge the violence that the crowd was engaged in and the insurrection that was happening that day because we... I think it's because people feel like they're agreeing with the left and they're giving the left a win on that or something. But we should acknowledge it because it literally is the truth. You can find tons of videos of patriots behaving, people in the crowd behaving completely civilly and peacefully and with and behaving within their rights. You can find tons of videos of that. That's the majority of videos, right? People behaving and acting completely within their rights as American citizens. But you can also find videos of people in the crowd doing actual violence and committing crimes. All of the people that are in this video I'm showing you right here on screen right now, they're not within their rights to be in that building. I know that people like to say it's our house and we're taxpayers and so we can go in there anytime we want. You know that's not true. You know that's not true. I understand it's the people's house. That doesn't mean you have access to it 24-7 and can go in any any time. There's a process for you to go in there. There's security checks. There are ways to get access to it. But everybody in this short clip, and I understand it's just a short clip, it's just a snippet. That's what everybody's showing is just short clips. Everybody here, the people on the left, they're being peaceful, right? But somehow that person has a cop's riot shield. Do you think she acquired that peacefully? I don't know. These people are literally breaking in a window over there. I think January 6th is so much more complicated than people on either side want to engage with because what they like to do is they like to, they fall for the the, the composition fallacy where they take a part, and I'm speaking about people on the left and the right, they take a part of something that happened on J6. They take one little segment of it, one moment. And then they extract from that and, and extrapolate from that something that is true about the whole of the event. So there was no violence in this crowd right here. Look, they'll take a show a video such as what Tucker dropped and they'll show and they'll show it and they'll say, see how nonviolent it was. It was completely peaceful and the cops let people in and the cops escorted people around. The whole thing was nonviolent. It wasn't an insurrection. It wasn't a riot, but that's not true. And the left will take a clip and they'll say, look at the violence that these people did. They're breaking into the Capitol. Look at them beating on this cop. Look at them breaking down windows. It was violent. It was a violent insurrection by Trumpsters and MAGA and Trump is to blame for it. And they're wrong, too. This past week, we crossed um, 
something oh, it crossed over a thousand people have been arrested for January 6th. I don't think it's a, I don't think it was a thousand convictions. I think it was a thousand arrests, but I could be wrong. Um, It's di- it's difficult. It's difficult to engage with this topic because people are so emotional about it and polarized on it on both sides. And the reason is because mostly people aren't wrong. Whatever their opinion is about it, they tend to be right about part of it. But the whole of it, the whole entire picture of it is so much more is so much more complicated. And in my opinion, what needs to happen is people need to stop being so polarized on it and come to an understanding that there are many truths about January 6th. There are many things about it that each side has been saying about it that are all true. It was violent and it was peaceful. It depends on where you were. There were good people there who acted completely within their rights and didn't do anything wrong and don't deserve it to be in prison, don't deserve to be prosecuted for anything. There are also people who did do things wrong, who trespassed and interrupted a joint session of Congress. And they need to be charged. They committed a crime. There are also people who set out that day to do violence and who wanted violence and who wanted January 6th to be the start of a civil war. And they should be held accountable. All of those things can be true at the same time. And it is also true that it was an insurrection. But it was an insurrection against the Trump administration. And in this short clip that I'm showing you here, and I'm not trying to promote the same fallacy of what is true of a part being true of the whole. But in the short clip I'm showing you here, I bet a lot of these people are well-meaning and didn't feel that they were doing anything wrong and they're 100% MAGA Trump supporters and they didn't do anything violent, but some of them did do something violent. There's a lot of people who got caught up in the moment. There's a lot of people who went along with the crowd and got pushed with the crowd. And I just I, I feel so bad for them. I want I want them all pardoned. All the people who were nonviolent, I want them pardoned. People who were violent, I want them I want them held accountable to the fullest extent that they can be. And there's a whole nother layer to January 6th when it comes to what groups were involved in planning what. Um there, there were groups there, such as Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, who set out that day to turn it into the start of a civil war. And there were other groups, possibly foreign, who were 
doing the same thing. Lots of hostile actors were there that day. Um, so another point I want to make about January 6th, um, in re- is in regards to the law enforcement that was there. Um, I think that a lot of the law enforcement that was there are just pretty regular cops and they were overwhelmed. When you see the big crowd shot videos that show you the crowd amassing in the Capitol and how many people there were and how quickly that giant crowd built up. I think the police were overwhelmed very quickly. And I think that's why you see in some instances the police backing up, the police retreating, the police clearing barriers and allowing people to take ground, basically. I think it's because there were only so many cops and they're facing literally thousands of people that are coming for them. And I don't mean coming for them as in they're going to get them, quote unquote. But I mean, it's a giant freaking mob that is that is coming and they're going to get, you're going to get lost in that giant crowd. And y'all guys will remember from the 2020 riots that happened six months before this, that when cops got lost in a crowd, things typically did not go well. When cops got isolated in a crowd, it was very dangerous for those cops, right? So I think the cops retreated and retreated and retreated. And I think individual cops and individual groups of cops tried to adapt and try to deal with the situation as it developed. There were some cops completely out of line. They were terrible and they should be held accountable. There are other cops who were completely fine. They they escorted people around. They opened doors. I don't know why they opened doors, but let me posit something to you. Let me posit something to you. You've got thousands and thousands of people up against a door who are trying to break in, like in this video clip I'm showing you right here. How long before people get crushed? If the Capitol building has been emptied of politicians, it's been cleared out. Isn't the best thing to do for the crowd just to open the doors and let them come in before people outside get crushed? How much, how much force do you want the cops to use to protect the Capitol building? Is it worth is it worth preventing these people from coming in the building to the point that they are getting crushed on the outside and it's getting more and more violent outside the doors? Is it worth doing that to prevent people from walking around peacefully inside like most did? Or should you just open the doors and let them walk around? Just positing that. A lot of people think the cops opened the doors because they were in on it and they wanted the insurrection and they're all deep state actors or something, or some of them are. 
We're just offering an alternate perspective or an alt- uh, another possibility that maybe the cops opened the doors because that was the better option. The more video I see of January 6th, the more thankful I am that it wasn't worse than it was. There could have, there could have been a lot more deaths and injuries on January 6th. A lot more. And I think it's I think it's just um I think it's one of these events where both sides are so polarized and emotional about it. And as we get more video and we get more information about it, I think it's another situation where everybody should pause and stop reacting and just try to understand it in the micro and the macro. I'm really glad that Tucker and his crew have gotten access. And this is a, this is a point of clarification that I think people need to make, keep in mind. Um, what Tucker got and what Tucker showed on his, on his show a couple of days ago, not last night, but the night before the big drop that showed uh, QAnon shaman being, being escorted around. Uh, most of that stuff was already out there. Not all of it, but a lot of it was. And we were already, we already knew that the QAnon shaman got escorted around. I mean, I knew, I knew that on January 6th, I was watching the streams. It was on stream, him getting, Escorted around. I remember distinctly the police, a police officer that was with him saying, okay, I'm going to let you in here, but this is like a sacred place. Please don't mess anything up. And then they walk around and, you know, they, he sits in the chair and all that stuff. You know, I remember watching that live. Um, or at least in a clip on that day. So we, we were, we knew this, we just didn't have that full video. But what people need to, I think one of the things people need to keep in mind about how this is developing with this new video is that DOJ only has some of these videos. They have a database of videos that's available to attorneys. This is right here. This is Jake Jake Chansley's. This is the QAnon Shaman's attorney right here, his current attorney. The last one screwed him. The last one screwed him over. This is his current attorney, shipwreck crew. And he's a, he's an attorney for many J six defendants. I don't know how many it's up to now, but he is a, he is a a attorney for many defendants. And he said, look, I had, there's, I have access to a DOJ database and DOJ has to make available to the defense, all these various videos. But the problem is DOJ could only put into the database what Congress gave DOJ. And this is something I didn't know until he revealed this, that Congress has held back video from DOJ. It would not let it be put into the database, which meant it wasn't available to the defense to defense attorneys to be able to use all videos from body worn cameras of the U S Capitol police and CCTV are the property of Congress, not DOJ. 
And that's what partly why Tucker can go in and Tucker's team is being allowed to view. And I made this point like a week or so ago. And a lot of people got mad at me. It was really weird how people get mad at me about this, but I don't know. Maybe I should be super emotional about this shit and people won't get mad at me because I'll be emotional with them. I don't know. But all I did was make the point that just because Tucker gets to view the videos doesn't mean he gets to take them and put them on the air. Congress and the Capitol Police Board have to approve them being released to Tucker to put on the air. Just like they have to approve that the video, the video is being given over to DOJ. So there is a tug. My point is there is a tug of war. There's a process that is being played out between Tucker and his crew and McCarthy and the rest of Congress and the U S Capitol and the Capitol police board and DOJ where this, that's, that's why the footage you've heard that there was, 14,000 hours of footage, but now it's gone up to 40-something thousand hours of footage. That's why. There was only so much video. People are either referencing when they say that. They're either referencing the amount of hours of footage that are in the DOJ database that defense attorneys have access to, or they're referencing the whole of all the video that exists from that day that Congress and the Capitol Police have. But only part of that has been given over to DOJ. Is this an important point to keep in mind? That's why Tucker probably didn't have another big reveal on Tuesday night. He's in a fight to get access to this stuff, um, just like others have been. And I'm glad he's doing it. And I think it's very, very important that Tucker is getting this access and is putting these videos out. Um, also shipwreck makes the point, regardless of what media members say, it is not possible to say definitively right now that defense attorneys did in fact have all the videos that Tucker is showing. McCarthy says he gave Fox everything that might include videos not given to DOJ by Pelosi and her Congress. Okay. That's, it's possible. Um, the QAnon shaman did get screwed over, by the way. He got he got completely screwed over. Y'all probably know that. And he's he's soon to be released and is supposed to do um an interview. Um shipwreck crew said. He said there's a story right here. My client Jake Chansley was a big part of Tucker's first big rollout of videos tonight. This is from two nights ago. There is a story beyond just the fact that the government had video Jake's attorney never looked at. Jake is set to be released from custody soon. He's going to tell a story, but Jake has also committed himself to helping me raise money so I can get into cases for J6 defendants earlier than I was able to get into his. I've spent 20 hours or more talking to Jake by phone. He's a very interesting young man, and I look forward to meeting him in person. It is quite fortuitous that these videos are coming out around the same time as he might first be able to address them himself. Shipwreck crew has a give sing go for his defense fund, by the way, if you're interested and this is a cause you really want to contribute to, 
you can go to um, his gifts and go right here. And you'll be giving to an attorney who is uh, who's doing this work. Has a number of clients. So I think it's a really I think it's a really good thing that Tucker's getting this video, but I, I I have to admit I'm not annoyed by it, but I do see a lot of people just getting super reactionary about it. And when I see that happening, I I tend to step back and kind of put it on pop kind of you know, just observe. Um, one thing that I really like <laughs> is I really liked seeing Schumer and McConnell get so upset about the release of these videos. Um, and I was making the point in a couple chats last night that, yeah, it's funny. It's funny to see them react that way. But they're smarter than that, guys. Both Schumer and McConnell are smart enough, in my opinion, to not to not react that way. Um, I know I've, I know some people were thinking that maybe because of Schumer and McConnell, that reaction Fox muzzled Tucker um, on Tuesday night. I don't think so. Um, in my opinion. Schumer and McConnell reacting in the way they did is feeding a Streisand effect on the whole thing. Um, I think there's, I think they're smart enough to not, um, to not do that. And so the fact they are doing it, uh, is just extra entertaining to me. So I see, I see them overreacting and I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, they're scared. Um, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, wow, nice of them to cause a Streisand effect like that. Um, so I don't, I don't mind it. I, I just think it's good. Um, okay. Let's see. I think, I think I'll do this one next. I think I'll do this. Uh, no, thanks. All right. OCCRP.org. I love this site. Um, please clarify what I mean, what, what means. Oh, Streisand effect. Yeah. It means, it means when you try and hide something, you actually draw more attention to it. Okay. I love this site because they put, they report on lots of different uh, corruption stuff. Um, I put this in the uh, Badlands Substacks, uh, the daily brief, um, and I want I want to talk about it uh, with y'all. The U.S. targets smuggling and money laundering networks supporting Russia's regime. The U.S. Department of Justice filed two separate cases against a Russian oligarch in its latest efforts to disrupt money laundering and smuggling networks which would support the Russian regime's war in Ukraine. One of them was a civil forfeiture complaint against six real estate properties worth $75 million beneficially owned by Russian oligarch Victor Vexelberg. I've covered that on this show. The second case 
saw Russian national Ilya Balakov. Um, I don't know. Balakai. I don't know. I'm doing my best. Charged with various offenses related to smuggling sensitive devices used in counterintelligence operations from the U.S. to Russia. Prosecutors claim that Vexelberg's properties have been obtained through international money laundering and sanctions violations. The properties are located in New York, Southampton, Fisher Island, and Florida. Went over all that. Who Vladimir um, or Victor Vexelberg and his associate Vladimir Voronchenko, who was similarly indicted earlier this month. Um, the fundraise for those forfeitures will be used to help rebuild Ukraine. I know y'all are really excited about that. Uh, Balakev, meanwhile, was charged with multiple offenses, including smuggling counterintelligence devices from the U.S. to Russia, violating sanctions against Russia, and providing U.S. technology to North Korean government official. If convicted, he could face up to 75 years. He is currently listed as a fugitive. Now, to the meat, what I really want to get into. Over the past year... The U.S. government has seized over $500 million in assets belonging to Russia's oligarchs and those who have unlawfully supported the Russian regime. Additionally, over 30 individuals and two corporate entities have been indicted for crimes such as sanctions evasion and money laundering. Last Friday, the U.S. Department of the Treasury announced a new wave of sanctions against Russia's metals and mining sector in order to hinder the country's resupply efforts in its costly ground war against Ukraine. These measures, coordinated with the, US, the U.S.'s allies and G7 partners, were taken with the expressed purpose of isolating Russia from the global economy. As a result, Russia's financial sector has lost hundreds of billions of dollars. Since the beginning of the war, the U.S., along with a coalition of over 30 allies and partners, has imposed a range of economic, economic measures, including sanctions, export controls, and price caps. Thousands of individuals and entities linked to the Russian regime have been blacklisted, including senior government officials and military manufacturing firms. Over 1,000 foreign companies have scaled back or stopped their operations in Russia, stifling the country's investment and industrial growth. Here's what I want to dig into. This right here, U.S. government has seized over $500 million worth of assets. If you click that link, it takes you to this fact sheet that the DOJ put out. And it says, since Russia's unprovoked full-scale invasion of Ukraine... Just put your filters on, guys. It's all right. <laughs> uh, the Department of Justice has used all tools at its disposal to impose accountability and serious cost on Russia and its enablers. Dozens of prosecutors, agents, analysts, and other personnel from across the department are working tirelessly, joined by partners in Ukraine and across the globe. The department is leveraging all its expertise through new initiatives to disrupt criminal networks that support the Russian war effort. Seized, forfeited, or otherwise restrained over $500 million in assets belonging to Russian oligarchs and others who unlawfully support the Russian regime and evaded U.S. economic countermeasures. Okay, let's look, let's look at who these assets and these oligarchs are. 
two lux- luxury yachts, the Tango, a $90 million yacht owned by Victor Vexelberg, and the Amadea, a $300 million mega yacht owned by Suleiman Karimov and recovered from Fiji. They've restrained and moved to forfeit 10 real estate properties totaling over $100 million associated with Russian oligarchs and agents. These in- collectively include two condominiums in Beverly Hills, three luxury properties in New York and D.C., an apartment on Park Avenue in New York, an estate in Southampton, New York, an apartment on Fisher Island, Florida, and a penthouse on Fisher Island, Florida. They've seized f- four overseas aircraft, $45 million Boeing 737 owned by Russian energy company PJSK Lukoil, two airplanes worth over $400 million owned by Russian oligarch Roman Abramovich, and a $90 million Airbus A319 owned by Andre Scotch. They've also authorized an unprecedented transfer of 5.0 million funds judicially forfeited from sanctioned Russian oligarch Konstantin Malofeyev to the State Department to support reconstruction efforts in Ukraine. Indicted over 30 individuals and two corporate entities accused of sanctions evasions and export control violations, money laundering, and other crimes. Arrested defendants in over a half dozen countries since 2020 or in 2022. They've indicted sanctioned oligarchs such as Konstantin Malofeyev, Andre Derkach, Rudy Giuliani caught him, by the way, and Oleg Deripaska as well as Russian politician Alexander Babakov for sanctions evasions and other related crimes. Indicted numerous facilitators and enablers of oligarchs who try to evade sanctions, including U.S. TV producer Jack Hannock, who allegedly assisting Malofeyev with his television network, U.K. businessman Graham Bonham Carter. Yes, he's, he's related to Helena Bonham Carter, the celebrity, by the way for allegedly assisting Deripaska in connection with, among other things, Deripaska's U.S.-based properties and artwork. Indicted multiple smuggling rings for trying to obtain sensitive technologies and military equipment on behalf of the Russian government, such as charging six of the individuals, including suspected FSB officer and two U.S. nationals for conspiring to procure military-grade and dual-use technologies. Indicted four individuals and two companies with violating U.S. export laws by attempting to smuggle a high-precision computer-controlled grinding machine that could be used in defense programs. Utilized intelligence data and analytics to disrupt and prevent a broad range of national security threats. All right, now why am I reading all this to you? Why am I telling you about all the things that DOJ and Treasury have done to get these bad Russians. It's also a bunch of uh, sanctions from the U S treasury department that go along with all of this. The reason I'm bringing it up is because I got to ask, are they, are these actions undermining Putin's regime in Russia or are they draining the Russian swamp? Because so many of these people I just named, Roman Abramovich, Andre Derkach, Oleg Deripaska, 
Victor Vexelberg. These are international swamp creatures. Some of them, a couple of them, are key players in Spygate and Russiagate. Victor Vexelberg is a big-time Clinton donor and friend of the, I mean, an allies of the an ally of the Clintons. So, I understand the language here is since Russia's unprovoked full-scale invasion of Ukraine on February 24th, the department has used all its tools at its disposal to oppose accountability and serious cost on Russia and its enablers. But you could, you can look at this and you can see that, huh, that's the headline. The Justice Department efforts in response to Russia's February 2022 invasion of Ukraine. But you look, you look at, uh, you look at who it actually is that they're going after, and it's swamp creature here, swamp creature over there, Clinton donor here. And I count it all as such good news. And people are like, when is it when is somebody going to be held accountable? When is when are we going to get some justice? Literally just read you a list of justice. It's um I had the idea like six months or so ago when I noticed the sanctions on Vexelberg and Deripaska and some others. And I was like, man, it kind of seems like DOJ and treasury are using the, the opportunity to respond to Russia's invasion of Ukraine as a framework for draining the international swamp. And this right here, this article and this fact sheet from DOJ on the one-year anniversary of it, um, I think really speaks to that. So the next time you see like some something come out of the Justice Department or Treasury that says, we've imposed sanctions on this person over here in order in response to Russia's illegal invasion and whatnot, blah, 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 blah. Look at who that person actually is and check and see if they have any relationship with the Clinton Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> or if they um, were paying off certain people in the FBI, such as Deripaska paying off uh, um, McGonagall. Because I think that this isn't so much an effort to damage Russia's regime. I think it's more of a an effort to damage the Russian deep state and the swamp in Europe, which bleeds over to ours, of course, connects to ours and feeds into ours. Okay. Real quick point before I get into the next major topic. I mentioned the... Uh, the lawsuit that uh, 
Huddleston has against the FBI. That's the one where we're getting all these FOIA stuff about Seth Rich and his laptops. And I mentioned that the latest filing, uh, this was on Monday morning show, I think I mentioned in the latest filing that, you know, he was trying to get money. Um, and the, but the case isn't closed. So he's, he's trying to get compensated for the over hundred thousand dollars he spent in trying to get all this information, uh, via FOIA. And he wants the government to compensate him because the government has been, there's been this game they've been playing where they've been trying not to release all this stuff. And, um, it's been going on for years. All right. McCabe's Porsche on blocks noticed something I missed. I, I scanned the filing, um, read it. I, I speed read it basically while being distracted by kids. And I completely missed this. On page five, there's some odd language regarding a referenced, quote, compact disc we all assumed was just an image of the laptop and specifically where it was found. Could just be a rant language or perhaps it's an admission. Because right here it says in that motion from October 27th, 2022, referencing a completely different motion. Don't worry about what it is. The government states that it initially asserted blanket FOIA exemptions 7D3 and 7E6 to withhold the compact disk that was located in Seth Rich's personal laptop. I don't recall ever reading anything about a compact disk that was in Seth Rich's personal laptop. I remember reading those filings back then and thinking they were referring to the laptop having been the drives of it having been imaged as in they scanned them and they copied them over. When you image a hard drive, for anybody who doesn't know, not that I'm a technical expert, but what people usually mean when they say they imaged or they have an image of a hard drive or a laptop, they usually mean that the hard drive has been imaged. It has been copied in a way to where you can, it's read only. You can go in and you can look at the drive that was on there that was in that, that laptop or that computer. And you can see all the things that were in it and you can read them and you can watch them and uh, all of that, but you can't edit any of it. It's a direct copy, but it's a copy that can't be altered. It's been imaged. So, that's how I always understood them to be referring to it is they had, they had imaged these, these laptops. But this says with the hold, the compact disc that was located in Seth Rich's personal laptop, I've never seen. And I haven't read everything in this case, but. Dasting. I haven't, they're talking now, maybe it could be a mistake. It could be, it it could be a mistake that the that the judge here or the the judge here is making a mistake here and referring to a compact disc that was inside the laptop. When what he really should be saying is the image disc for that personal laptop. But notable, it's no, it's notable. Because it may be that there's a piece of evidence that we didn't know about and hasn't been discussed about, discussed, and 
that they've just revealed that there is actually a compact disc that is in evidence that was inside Seth Rich's personal laptop that the FBI has in evidence. It's very interesting. Um, and I like what he said here. Also, we should take heart in just how far we've managed to move the football an inch at a time that it's now become a fact that yes, the FBI did investigate Seth Rich. Um, that's true. That's very true. Okay. The next segment I'm going to get into Next time I'm going to get into has to do with the sabotage of Nord Stream pipelines. But before I do, I get into that. I need more coffee, guys. I've just finished every bit of coffee that I have. So we're going to take a short intermission. Just real quick. We're going to take just a, a few minutes. So if anybody else needs to uh, refill your coffee cup um, or whatever. Go ahead and do that. Let me get, I'm going to get some intermission music. We haven't taken an intermission during the show in a long time, but today I need to do that. So let me get this right. Yeah, that's ready. All right. We're going to take a short intermission to refill our coffee cups. Then we're going to come back and we're going to get into this latest information about Nord Stream or Nord Stream sabotage.
right. Sorry, it took me a little while. But I am back, and we have another totally not controversial at all, not polarizing, completely mundane topic to talk about, right? Totally not sensational at all. Sure, everybody will agree. That we can trust the New York Times in their reporting, right? <laughs> okay. This is I'm probably going to talk about this on the Devo Power Hour as well, unless unless the unless Burning Bright and John have uh, have some other topics they want to get into and. Uh, we don't, I don't get, to, I don't get to push this forward, but I bet they're going to want to get into this just like as much as I do. Um, so this New York times article dropped yesterday and of course people completely believed it. We're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, didn't, didn't re overreact to it at all. No, not at all. I want to take you through this article because there's some really, really interesting stuff in it. And like I've been talking about um, on many shows recently, you got, you just, just put on your fake news filter, just put on your fake news filter and parse through these, these, these reports like this. And you can pick up on, some really interesting factoids and indicators and, um, excuse me, information. There's so much fake news on both sides that you must, you must, if you want to get through this info war with any kind of sanity, you, you must develop your own filter so that you can, you can read this stuff. You can consume this information and not be misinformed. Um, for one, but you know, you got to develop those filters for both, for both media on the left and the right. Um, and I actually think you need a better filter for stuff coming from the right than you do the left, because most of the news that you like is probably fake. You like the news is fake all around. Trump didn't ever say that I know of that only media on the left is fake. He's kept telling people the news is fake. So develop that filter and you'll be much better off for it. All right. So this New York times report is really interesting. Let's get through Let's go through this. The intelligence intelligence suggests pro Ukrainian group sabotaged pipelines U.S. officials say new intelligence reporting amounts to the first significant known lead about who was responsible for the attack on Nord Stream pipelines that carried natural gas from Russia to Europe. Just this right here, just this headline, that a pro-Ukrainian group did it, guys, that's a major shift in U.S. media. It's a major shift in U.S. US media who were all on song when the sabotage happened, saying it was Russia who did it, they sabotaged their own pipeline. 
for them to have a headline like this, that's a big shift. It might even be the Cy Hirsch effect. I don't know, but it's a big shift, and I'm happy about it. Now, it is by Adam Intus, Julian E. Barnes, and Adam Goldman. Yeah, Adam Goldman. But keeping that in mind, we can proceed through this and find interesting stuff. New intelligence reviewed by U.S. officials suggests that a pro-Ukrainian group carried out the attack on the Nord Stream pipelines last year, a step towards determining responsibility for an act of sabotage that has confounded investigators on both sides of the Atlantic. U.S. officials said that they had no evidence President Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine or his top lieutenants were involved in the operation, or that the perpetrators were acting at the direction of any Ukrainian government officials. Okay, so that's pretty dasting right there. They're saying it's a pro-Ukraine group, but it's a group that is not acting at the direction of the Ukrainian government. That There's no evidence that they were acting at the direction of Zelensky and his lieutenants. That's interesting. The brazen attack on the natural gas pipeline, which linked Russia to blah, 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 and it's so controversial and it's unsolved mystery. Ukraine and its allies have been seen by some officials as having the most logical potential motive to attack the pipelines. Yes. Yes. I've said that since the day it happened. And so have others. It always made the most sense that Ukraine attacked the pipeline. Always. They have opposed the project for years, calling it a national security threat because it would allow Russia to sell more gas more easily to Europe. Ukrainian government and military intelligence officials say they had no role in the attack and do not know who carried it out. U.S. officials said there was much they did not know about the perpetrators and their affiliations. The review of newly collected intelligence suggests they were opponents of President Vladimir Putin of Russia, but does not specify the members of the group or who directed or paid for the operation. U.S. officials declined to disclose the nature of the intelligence, how it was obtained, or any details of the strength of the evidence it contains. They have said that there are no firm conclusions about it, leaving open the possibility that the operation might have been conducted off the books by a proxy force with connections to the Ukrainian government or its security services. Who do we know? Who do we know that does off-the-book operations and is connected to Ukraine? Hmm. Hmm. I believe it would be the CIA. CIA comes to mind. Some initial U.S. and European speculation centered on possible Russian capability, especially given its prowess in undersea operations, though it is unclear what motivation the Kremlin would have in sabotaging its own pipeline. One estimate put the cost of repairing the pipelines at about $500 million. U.S. officials say they have not found any evidence of involvement by the Russian government in the attack. Guys, guys, that is... Think about where we were six months ago on this. Everybody was... Bl- not, not anons, but everybody 
in U.S. media and so many others were saying it was Russia, Russia did it. Immediately, it must have been Russia. They must have bombed their own pipeline. <laughs> but here we have the New York, we have U.S. officials speaking to the New York Times and then reporting no evidence, haven't found any evidence of any involvement by the Russian government in the attack. Officials who have reviewed the intelligence said they believed the saboteurs were most likely Ukrainian or Russian nationals, or some combination of the two. U.S. officials said no American or British nationals were involved. We'll see about that. But I've made the point on this show many times that I've noticed many, pretty often, U.S. media, and actually really not just U.S. media, but particularly U.S. media, will call someone Russian when they're really Ukrainian. Um, Russia and Ukraine are so close and there are so, there's so many people who have dual citizenship or who have family in both countries or who are born in one, but live in the other, go back and forth, et cetera. That I think, I think U S media picks and chooses where they identify someone as Ukrainian or Russian. If it's someone they don't like and you want, they want people to think ill about, they call them Russian. If they want them to think they're good, quote unquote, then they call them Ukrainian, even when they're Russian. So would it be unusual for it to be, you know, people that could be identified as either or who have passports to both or whatever? Um, we'll see. The pipelines were ripped apart. We already know this. U.S. officials did not stated publicly that they believe the operation was stated by a state. Now, this sentence, guys, this sentence. U.S. officials have not stated publicly that they believe the operation was sponsored by a state. That's a strange way to say. That's a strange sentence. Let me change. Let me change what the nouns are. Let me change what the the sentence. Let me use the same framework here. I'm going to change what it says. The husband has not stated publicly that he believes his wife cheated on him. What do you, what would you infer from that? I mean, really, think on this sentence. U.S. officials have not stated publicly that they believe the operation was sponsored by a state. Meaning they've privately stated they do believe the operation was sponsored by a state? That might be the most significant line in this article. The explosives were most likely planted with the help of experienced divers who did not appear to be working for military or intelligence services. Check that sentence out again. The explosives were most likely planted with the help of experienced divers who did not appear to be working for military or intelligence services. Oh, you mean like people who do 
work for the CIA? But it is possible that the perpetrators received specialized government training in the past. Oh, you mean like maybe Navy divers who trained to uh, disable mines and things like that? And then who took some contract work for the CIA? Officials said there were still enormous gaps in what the U.S. spy agencies and their European partners knew about what transpired, but officials said it might constitute the first significant lead to emerge from several closely guarded investigations, the conclusions of which could have profound implications for the coalition supporting Ukraine. Any suggestion of Ukrainian involvement, whether direct or indirect, could upset the delicate relationship between Ukraine and Germany souring support among a German public that has swallowed high energy prices in the name of solidarity. This Germany is the, is a, is a victim here. The German people are victims of the sabotage of this pipeline and NATO needs Germany to be on board. And Ukraine needs Germany to be on board with their little swamp operation in Ukraine and defending that swamp operation in Ukraine. But if it was determined that the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline was done by one of those partners, was sponsored by one of those partners, was sanctioned by, approved by one of the partners, they just... They just screwed over the German people and industry to save their swamp in Ukraine. They attacked a NATO member country. And then tried to blame the U.S. for it, rightly or wrongly, in order to get the U.S. further involved into the conflict in Ukraine. U.S. officials have been briefed on the intelligence, are divided about how much weight to put on the new information. All of them spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss classified intelligence and matters of of sensitive diplomacy. U.S. officials said the new intelligence reporting has increased their optimism that American spy agencies and their partners in Europe can find more information, which could allow them to reach a firm conclusion about the perp about the perpetrators. It is unclear how long that process will take. American officials recently discussed intelligence with their European counterparts who have taken the lead in investigating the attack. See, their European counterparts have taken the lead in investigating the attack. Hmm. A spokeswoman for the CIA declined to comment. A spokesman for the White House's National Security Council referred questions about the pipelines to the European authorities who have been conducting their own investigations. And then it gives some history about Nord Stream 1 and 2 and how much it earlier last year. Biden, earlier last year, President Biden, after meeting with Chancellor Olaf Scholz of Germany at the White House, said Mr. Putin's decision about whether to attack Ukraine would determine the fate of Nord Stream 2. Guys, can you believe can you believe the New York Times is putting that information in an article about who sabotaged 
Nord Stream. Quote, if Russia invades, that means tanks and troops crossing the border of Ukraine again, then there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2, Biden said. We will bring an end to it. When asked exactly how that would be accomplished, Mr. Biden cryptically said, I promise you we'll be able to do it. Guys, the New York Times is inching closer and closer to blaming Biden for the sabotage of Nord Stream 2. A couple weeks later, Mr. Schultz announced that his government would block the Nord Stream 2 pipeline from becoming operational. Two days after that, Russia launched the much-anticipated invasion. Since the explosions along the pipelines in September, there has been rampant speculation about what transpired on the seafloor near the Danish island of Bornholm. Poland and Ukraine immediately accused Russia of planting the explosives, but offered no evidence. Russia, in turn, accused Britain of carrying out the operation, also without evidence. Russia and Britain have denied any involvement in the explosives, explosions. Now, get this. This is going to shock you. I can't, I can't believe this. Last month, the investigative journalist Seymour Hirsch published an article on the newsletter platform Substack concluding that the United States carried out the operation at the direction of Mr. Biden. In making his case, Mr. Hirsch cited the president's pre-invasion threat to bring an end to Nord Stream 2 and similarly similar statements by other senior U.S. officials. U.S. officials say Mr. Biden and his top aides did not authorize a mission to destroy the Nord Stream pipelines, and they say there was no U.S. involvement. I can't believe the times. I can't believe these paragraphs that they would quote Biden saying that he would bring it into Nord Stream 2 and then immediately mention Seymour Hirsch and his Substack saying exactly that, that Biden did it. They were, com- it was U S media had a blackout on Seymour Hirsch. He tried to get it published in U S media and nobody would publish it. That's why he went to Substack. And now New York times is willing to mention it. Any findings that put blame on Kiev or Ukrainian proxies could prompt a backlash in Europe and make it harder for the West to maintain a united front in support of Ukraine. Yep. U.S. officials and intelligence agencies acknowledge that they have limited visibility into Ukrainian decision-making. Despite Ukraine's dependence on the United States for military and intelligence diplomatic support, Ukrainian officials, get this, get this, Pay attention. Ukrainian officials are not always transparent with their American counterparts about their military operations, especially those against Russian targets behind enemy lines. Those operations. Those operations have frustrated U.S. officials who believe that they have not measurably improved Ukraine's position on the battlefield, but have risked alienating European allies and widening the war. Ukrainian officials are not always transparent with their American counterparts about military operations, especially those against Russian targets behind enemy lines. The operations that have unnerved the United States include a strike in early August on Russia's Saki Air Base on the western coast of Crimea, a truck bombing in October that destroyed part of the Kerch Strait Bridge, which links Russia to Crimea, 
and drone strikes in December aimed at Russian military bases in Ryazan and Ingles, about 300 miles beyond the Ukrainian border. But there have been other acts of sabotage and violence of more ambiguous provenance that U.S. intelligence agencies have had a harder time attributing to Ukrainian security services. One of those was a car bomb near Moscow in August that killed Daria Dagina, the daughter of a prominent Russian na- nationalist. He had denied any involvement, but U.S. intelligence agencies eventually came to believe that the killing was authorized by what officials call elements of the Ukrainian government. In response to the finding, the Biden administration privately rebuked the Ukrainians and warned them against taking similar actions. The explosions that ruptured the Nord Stream pipelines took place five weeks after Ms. Dugina's uh, killing. After the Nord Stream operation, there was hushed speculation and worry in Washington that parts of the Ukrainian government might have been involved. So while U.S. media and while the U.S. government was blaming Russia for this, they had hushed speculation and worry that parts of the Ukrainian government might have been involved. The new intelligence provided no evidence so far of the Ukrainian government's complicity in the attack on the pipelines, and the U.S. officials say the Biden administration's level of trust in Mr. Zelensky and his senior national security team has been steadily increasing. Days after the explosion, Denmark, Sweden, and Germany began their own separate investigations into Nord Stream operation. I want to point something out. Denmark, Sweden, and Germany investigating, they're doing their own investigation into Nord Stream. Who did Hirsch say was involved? He said it was Norway and the CIA. Do you think Denmark, Sweden, and Germany, especially Denmark and Germany, do you think they're going to cover up for the CIA in Norway? I'm not sure. I think the suffering that's gone on in Germany might be enough for them to do a pretty dang good job at investigating this, or at least find some truths. Intelligence and law enforcement agencies on both sides of the Atlantic have had difficulty obtaining concrete evidence about what happened on the seafloor in the hours, days, and weeks before the explosions. The pipelines themselves were not closely monitored by either commercial or government sensors. Moreover, finding the vessel or vessels involved has been complicated by the fact that the explosions took place in a heavily trafficked area. That said, investigators have many leads to pursue. According to a European lawmaker briefed late last year by his country's main foreign intelligence service, investigators have been gathering information about an estimated 45 ghost ships. Estimated 45 ghost ships whose location transponders were not on or were not working when they passed through the area, possibly to cloak their movements. 
The lawmaker was also told that more than 1,000 pounds of military-grade explosives were used by the perpetrators. Spokespeople for the Danish government had no immediate comment, and spokespeople for the German government declined to comment. Mats Lundqvist, a senior prosecutor leading Sweden's investigation, told the New York Times late last month that his country's hunt for the perpetrators was continuing. It's my job to find who blew to find who blew up Nord Stream to help me. I have our country's security service, Mr. Lundquist said. Do I think it was Russia that blew up Nord Stream? I never thought so. It's not logical. But as in the case of murder, you have to be open to all possibilities. Folks, I saw it. I, most everybody that I saw who noticed this article was just giving hot takes on it. And fair play to them. That's a popular thing to do and a fun one. Not knocking it. Not knocking it. But if you take the time to uh, read this article, put your fake news filter on and read it and try and glean from it what it actually says. Boy, is it interesting. Boy, is it interesting. I cannot believe it's from the New York Times. <clears throat> you would have thought Revolver wrote this or somebody like that. I mean, I can't, I can't believe that this is from the New York Times. But there's more. Before I get to that, I just want to remind y'all that when this sabotage first happened, I posited in my very first video after it, that it was Ukraine who carried out the attack. And I used some circumstantial evidence to make that case. Perhaps I was right, perhaps not. But it for damn sure wasn't the Russians who did it. And for those of you who are around then and watching the show, you may remember that I proposed this and I used various pieces of circumstantial information, including the fact that Ukrainians were around the Balt Ops and were receiving drones, underwater drones from the Royal Navy that they had received three of them and another three were on the way and they were being trained in Balt Ops in this region and I also mentioned in that same segment that this has happened before it's happened before that a drone, an underwater drone was found next to those pipelines in 2015 strapped with explosives as if somebody wanted to sabotage that pipeline and failed. the bombs failed to go off. So the idea of divers or of underwater drones being used to blow up those pipelines isn't far-fetched at all because it's actually been attempted before. It's been attempted. So knowing that it's been attempted before and that Ukraine just got underwater drones and Ukraine has the most motivation to blow those pipelines up and they're there in that area getting these drones just weeks before they're blown up. It's not a stretch. It's not a stretch at all. Now there's more. There's more. There's another article. After this New York Times piece dropped a couple hours later, 
this German newspaper Zeit or Zeit, I don't know how, I think it's Zeit, but I don't know. Uh, they dropped a report that has ways, very spe- specific information in it. And it's difficult to translate. Google translate has a difficult job with it. Um, that's what I've used to translate it is, is Google translate, but, um, it's, it doesn't give the best translation, but it'll be all right. It'll be good enough. It's a rough translation though. So fair warning. All right. Nord means north, so it translates it as North Stream Investigations. We've been calling it Nord Stream because whatever, but it's North Stream Pipeline. Investigators identified the boat from which the Nord Stream attackers were carried out. Attacks were carried out. Apparently, it was rented by a company owned by, drumroll, Ukrainians. Shocking, I know. All right, so. The German investigative authorities, again, this is a rough translation, so I'm going to read it and we're going to have to like switch some things around um, and just be cognizant of the fact that it's a rough translation from English to German, okay? The German investigative authorities have, at the clarification of the attack on the pipelines, Nord Stream 1 and 2, obviously from one breakthrough achieved. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Okay, after a joint res- after joint research by ARD Hap Studio and ARD Policy Magazine Contrast, the SWR and Zeit have figured out in the course of their investigations and have largely reconstructed how and when the explosive attack was prepared. According to them, traces lead in the direction of Ukraine. However, the investigators have so far found no evidence of who commissioned the destruction, who authorized it. On the night of 26 September, three of four strands of Nord Stream 1 and 2 and pipelines were destroyed by explosives. Specifically, according to information from ARD, Contrast, the SWR, and Zeit, they've managed to identify the boat that was allegedly used for the secret operation. It's a yacht that was rented by a company based in Poland that apparently belongs to two Ukrainians. So according to, this isn't just one, if we have more than one entity here doing this investigation, got one, one, two, three, four entities doing this investigation and they've gotten into, they've identified the boat. They've identified the, who the boat belongs to and who it was rented by. This is getting very specific and it gets more specific. The secret operation at sea is supposed to, according to this investigation, a team of six people carried it out. It's said to have been five men and one woman. This is getting, this is super specific. Accordingly, the group consisted of a captain, two divers and two diving assistants and a doctor who transported the explosives to the crime scene. The nationality of the perpetrators is obviously unclear. The assassins used professionally fake passports, which include for the rental of the boat. 
So CIA. <laughs> According to the investigation, the command is said to have gone out um, by Rostock out into the Baltic. The equipment for the secret operation was transported to the port by a van. I wonder if they have the license plate. And further, further, according to the researchers, the boat was successful on the following day. So they went out once in September, and then on the next day they went out again to go do this work. It would take hours to go down and do all this stuff. So they couldn't get it all done in one day. They went to Week or Wyke Week. According to the researchers, the boat was successful on the following day again in Wyke or Week, and later on the Danish island of Christians, northeast of Bornholm. The yacht is after the owner returned in an unclean state. So they returned the yacht, but the yacht wasn't perfectly clean. And on the table in the cabin, according to the research and the investigators, they have proven there were traces of explosives in the yacht. According to information from ARD HAP Studio, Contrast, the SWR, and a Western Secret Service, it was scheduled in autumn, shortly after the destruction, have sent a note to European partner services. And they say the Ukrainian command is responsible for the destruction. So they didn't say the Ukrainian government. They said it says it's translated as a Ukrainian command. Okay. Now, again, this is a rough translation. It's good enough for us to understand what they're trying to say, but it is a rough translation. After that, there are said to have been further intelligence indicators that a pro-Ukrainian group could be responsible. Are we going to find out that it's a combination of CIA and Azov battalion? For their research, the ARD Capital Studio, Contrast, the SWR, and Zeit spoke with sources in several countries. All right now, the fact they've done that, like that, that really speaks that this could be this is, could be pretty solid information here. That they've they're gathering this from several different countries. It's not just one source um, that may have an agenda, but several different countries, and they have all this specific information. You know, it's the credibility here is. Of everything is always in question and they're not providing us evidence. Like we can't see the evidence or see any tests here. You know, they're not proving it, but they're conveying some pretty specific information here. Um, there's nothing vague about it. The investigation into destruction, of the pipelines, um, as being d- conducted by Germany, Denmark, Sweden, and the Netherlands and the USA is involved. In Germany, the federal prosecutor general's investigations, which include both the federal criminal police office and has commissioned, they've commissioned the federal police to investigate this. Even if traces lead to Ukraine, so far the investigators have not been able to find out who the alleged is that have commissioned this perpetrator group to do this, to do this sabotage. In international security circles, it is not excluded that it could also be a false flag operation. This means that traces may have been deliberately placed in order to point to Ukraine as the perpetrator. However, the investigators apparently have found 
no clues to reinforce a scenario that it was a false flag. The Ukrainian government was initially of one opinion and not available. Okay, I think I think what they mean here is that the Ukrainian government didn't want to contact, didn't want to comment on this. The federal attorney general also rejected commenting. A German spokesman um, for the government referred to the ongoing investigation to the attorney general and the authorities of Sweden and Denmark. Sweden, Denmark, and Germany had only a few days ago in the United Nations Security Council informed them that the investigations are ongoing and there are no results yet. The Ukrainian uh, presidential advisor, uh, Podoljak, or Podoljak, I don't know, made a, shared a statement with these groups, with ARD, with Contrast, SWR, and Zeit, uh, that, quote, this has nothing to do with the attacks on the north to, the, to Nord Stream 2. There's no confirmation that Ukrainian officials or the military participate in this operation or persons who act on their behalf. Um, there are many more motives and much more possible uses in this scenario, like, like – all right. So very, very interesting that both of these came out the same day on the same day. And see, this says 7th of March, 6.03 PM. This is 7th of March, 10 AM. So Did the Times know that this investigation was going to be released over here in Europe out of this, um, out of Zeit Online? And so they decided to go ahead and publish theirs. And is that why this article from the Times is not as spinny and full of bullshit as we might expect? Is it because they knew this report was coming out in Germany and was going to be this specific? So they felt they had to put together an article that was you know, trimmed up enough and professional enough that it wouldn't, you know, look like junk when this article came out later that day? Possibly. Do they, are they both looking at some of the same information? It kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like some of the information, some of the intel that they published here is showing up in this one in general. And it's also looking like perhaps I was right. Ukraine and CIA did this. Perhaps a lot of us were right. When the, when we first thought, you know what? It makes the most sense that Ukraine was involved in the sabotage of Nord Stream Pipeline and that the CIA helped them. And I wrote in the Badlands news brief this morning that I think if you take Hirsch's article and the New York Times article and that Zeit article and you take some OSINT information that we have from that time and you use some reason and some deduction and you just, you know, trying what burning bright has been talking about with constellations of information and data. And you try and put that together and figure out, okay, what, um, what makes the most sense? Where is their overlap? Where, where do they confirm one another? Where do they negate one another? I think you can get pretty close to figuring out that there's some truth 
in all of these articles, and while they may not each of them be completely 100% accurate in what they're saying, there is some truth. They're telling a tr- there, there is some truth in there, and there are there are some things that are accurate. So we're getting a lot closer to finding out who did this, and I think it leads. I you know people are always talking about when's the precipice or like some kind of event, what's going to lead us to the precipice and all this kind of stuff. Um, I, my answer is all of it. It's all of it is leads us to a precipice. <laughs> um, it's all of it combined. But I think the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline has the most potential to get the world's attention and bring the world um, – to break through the matrix that people are under and, and, and show them that, look, there are some really bad actors in the deep states of multiple countries who are willing to go so far as to sabotage a pipeline such as Nord Stream and do severe damage to the German people and their industry in order to try and get, and, and to blame the U.S. for it in order to get the U.S. into a nuclear war with Russia. Because that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about some group, somebody, sanctioned, paid for, authorized, and caused – the sabotage of Nord Stream. And they and the that happening, if blamed on the US, has the very real possibility to get us into a Cuban missile crisis type situation where a shooting war with Russia is more likely than not. It's an absolute war crime. It's a it's an international crime. So severe, so severe. Um, And I think that, I think that's what's going to happen. I think that we're going to come to a point where it's a Cuban missile crisis type situation and Trump is going to step in and be peacemaker. And even people who have hated Trump and still have TDS will have to say, Man, I'm actually I can't stand that guy, but I'm really glad he stepped in and talked to Putin and uh neutralized this situation. Karma, I don't know why you think our military did it. <laughs> I, I don't I don't I don't understand I don't get your thinking on it at all. Um I think we're far apart on this one, but both of us have a funny way of being far apart on things. And then like later on crossing paths all over again. Right. So, um, so that's all right. Neither one of us can ever be accused of not thinking for ourselves. Okay. It's 11, 20. All right, guys, that's going to be my show. Whoa, what just happened? What just, what? 
what happened here? What did I do? What did I do? The heck? Why did my camera go away? Well, I guess that's the end of the show. Huh. What happened? All right, guys. Well, that's the end of the show. I just killed my camera. And uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks for watching. If y'all if y'all enjoy, I have no idea what's going on. My, it just stopped working. All right. So y'all have a great day. God bless each and one, every one of you. If you enjoyed the show, share it. Um, hit the thumbs up over on Rumble. I appreciate it very much. Um, all the links to support the show beyond that, buying honey, buying merch, Substack, buymeacoffee.com, all that stuff. All those links are in the description. And um, I see Karma. She's taking responsibility for killing my camera. Uh, <laughs> that's what I get. <laughs> so, all right. Y'all have a great day. Remember, we're not going to win every battle. <laughs> I'm not winning the battle with my, my technology. We're not going to win every battle, but we're going to win this war. God bless each and every one of you. Have a great day.